It's me. I'm back. You missed me. I know. Because I've gotten your emails. I've gotten your texts. I've gotten your DMs. I've got your Twitter messages. Everything. I'm back. But before we talk about me and you, um, let's talk about this question, which is, have you ever been confused by a website, a purchase path, or have you ever wondered what people uh, aren't telling you when you ask them about your experience or uh, the process of buying something for you or just overall um, ability to understand your offering or your experience? I have, and that's why I'm having my guest Caspian Turner on today, because he's going to help me walk through accessibility um, and all the issues that kind of go into making an event uh, accessible to people. Um, and his his firm, Accessible by Design, helps people rethink accessibility. So we're going to have a nice conversation about accessibility. And you know me, I'll turn it around on how this helps people make money. But before we get to Caspian, I want to talk to you for a second because you've sent me emails, you've sent me texts, you've sent me smoke signals, you sent me the whole deal um, asking where I've been. Um, you might know that I had um, a really serious battle with long COVID back in 2022. It kept me in the hospital for eight days. Um, it was really kind of touch and go. Uh, it was a bad scene, but I'm cool now. So there's nothing in that way wrong with me. Uh, in fact, I really only have to go to the doctor about once a year now, like everybody else. Um, so thankfully that is behind me. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. Um, what I did have though, and this may be meaningful because I often tell you that if there is a problem to always send me a text or an email or a message and don't do it alone. Uh, probably about six, well, I guess it's been longer than six months ago, um, started in the last year when I started to feel better uh, after I'd gotten all my health things under control, I started having a series of panic attacks. Uh, and it was happening pretty regularly when I'd go out in public, which when I tell people this, they freak out because they go, Dave, you aren't the kind of person that has panic attacks. In fact, you were the person that somebody who would be nervous in social situations would come to because you'd make them feel comfortable. Yeah. So that was me. I was having panic attacks and I couldn't go out in public um, without like losing it. Like God's honest truth, losing it like un unbelievably terrible, sweaty palms, racing heart. Uh, just I would lose my train of concentration. I could I couldn't remember names and faces and places and I would just be completely out of it. So I went to my doctor. I talked to my doctor about this. I said, look, doc, I'm having this issue. Uh, what can we do? And he said, well, you know, there's like all these different options. He goes, but the first thing maybe is if you just find a way to take a break. And so that's what I did. I took a break. Um, Catherine and I have been on uh, a sabbatical for about two months. Uh, you know, I've still put out a few things on the newsletter and such. Uh, we spent time in Miami, in Palm Beach, uh, in New York, uh, in DC, kind of all up and down the East coast. Uh, we had a really lovely summer between, between me, Catherine and Cormac doing all kinds of crazy stuff. We joined the pool club. I mean, stuff we just never have had a chance to do, or just didn't take the time to do before. Uh, we did it. It was great. Um, you know, now I'm back. I'm kind of refreshed. I've had this podcast with Caspian Turner, uh, saved for a while. Um, and so what happened was this period of time gave me a chance to think about what's next for me. Um, 
I had been, uh, like a lot of us, really good about keeping myself constantly going and never really confronting uh, what I was thinking about, which probably maybe was a bit of the challenge with the anxiety. Um, so I focused on what's next. I had a great opportunity that I may have had the chance to mention in passing. I know I posted about it on LinkedIn and I mentioned it in the Talking Tickets newsletter a few times, but I got the opportunity to teach um, brand management to the Kelly School of Business, Kelly Direct Program and their executive MBAs. Uh, and I was in Milwaukee for a week uh, teaching class, uh, meeting students and hanging out. It was a great experience. Um, and that was one thing that I really, really enjoyed doing. Uh, getting into a classroom with people, uh, teaching them things that I know that I know can help make them make more money uh, and be more successful in their businesses and their careers. So that was one thing. But then my ultimate focus came back to the idea of strategy. And where it came from was I heard an interview from uh, early in May, maybe the start of June, with Roger L. Martin. Uh, Professor Roger L. Martin is the former dean of the Rotman School of Management in Toronto, and he talked about strategy being a lost art. You have been here probably a lot over the years because the listeners of this podcast, uh, you have been extremely loyal and faithful to me. Uh, so it's great. Um, but you know how I rattle on about strategy before tactics and all of these things. And Roger talked about the lost art of strategy and how you can't go to school and get a really good strategic education anymore, which I was like, amen, brother. And how you can't find organizations that really are doing a great job of it in a lot of cases. And I started to think about why. And the why is what I'm going to probably focus on a little bit more now. And this really is playing out in sports where everything's driven by uh, short-termism, right? Um, we can burn through 99% of the kids who come through our sales academy because there's always a fresh supply of young kids that want to cold call uh, in sports. Um, we'd never worry about building our subscription model in the theater because there's as soon as you buy, it's time to get you to be a subscriber, right? Maybe you, you, you loved one show, but now you're going to love a dozen a year. You know, short-term thinking has driven a lot of this. It's the demands of Wall Street that have driven this. Monopoly power all over the place has done this. So a lot of these conversations I'm going to have are going to be driven by uh, my understanding and my continuing wanting to understand strategy and really with the outcome of I want to drive better results for people. I want people to have more stability in their businesses. I want people to um, have more success, right? I want people to um, achieve more. I want them to set goals and get there. Um, and I know that strategy is the kind of the key insight. So I think probably a little bit more of these, there's, it's going to be a mix now um, between of conversations. But what I really am most dedicated in is I want to make sure that I get you involved, right? I need you to help me. And by help me, I mean, I want you to send me your questions, right? I'm going to propose a question for you today, which is send me your questions about what are the big issues that you are dealing with in your organization, right? Which one, which if you have a question about an issue that you think is not being addressed very well, in your organization, an issue that you keep dealing with that you can't quite get your head around, send it to me. 
right? If you are questioning how and why your organization is making the decisions they are making, send them to me. I will use some of the best ones in an upcoming episode of The Business of Fun, and I'm going to ask, answer them right here at the start. And hopefully then I will find somebody cool to talk to, but I'm going to answer your questions. And besides the questions, do me a favor and send me any guests or topics you'd like to hear from. I haven't made this request in a while of you, um, and I know that you listen very, very diligently to me. So I want you to tell me who you'd like to hear more from. The podcast interview um, seems to work very well for me, and I want to incorporate you and the guests into the podcast. So do that. Um, and before we get to Caspian Turner, one more request. I know you dig this thing. I see the numbers of the podcast. I thank you so much. You deserve uh, everything I can give you. But can you do me a favor? Um, we'll have If you haven't signed up for the Talking Tickets newsletter, make sure you do it. TalkingTickets.substack.com And if you already read the Talking Tickets newsletter, I know you love it. So why don't you sign up for the Business of Value newsletter? That's at businessofvalue.substack.com. Okay, so now here is my conversation with Caspian Turner on the Business of Fun podcast. I would like to welcome Caspian Turner from Accessibility by Design to the Business of Fun podcast. Caspian, how are you? Very well, thanks, Dave. Great to be here. Thank you. Oh, I, li I like it when it's great to be here. I like, you know, having like nice little conversations with people and uh, uh, hopefully they're going to uh, be able to crack some jokes and we're going to talk about some uh, some stuff that I think is going to be meaningful to people. So, um, but accessibility by, by design, uh, you work on designing websites so that it helps people um, of any, you know, be have a, you know, take away accessibility issues for people because um, tell me if I'm wrong here. A lot of times, I don't think people think about accessibility as like a primary concern. Is that right? And that yeah, was, of exactly. course, the clunkiest first question I've ever asked, but that's totally fine. Yeah, so um, with Accessible by Design, uh, I work with arts and cultural organizations and technology providers, web agencies, um, and really our aim is to make sure that websites work for everyone. Um, and we do that in a few different ways. Um, the most common way is auditing against the web content accessibility guidelines. So um, these are universally known guidelines around the world and referenced by legislation um, like the Americans with Disabilities Act and Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act, um, like the um, Web Accessibility Directive for Public Sector Bodies in Europe. Um, and these guidelines help ensure that uh, websites work for everyone, regardless of the technology being used to access them. Um, it provides guidance around writing uh, accessibly. Uh, so things around sentence structure, um, recognizing kind of usability conventions and uh, essentially making websites easier to use for everyone. Um, so yeah, some of what we do is auditing. Um, we also do inclusive usability studies uh, and I really enjoy those. Um, we invite people to take part in usability studies. We come up with a, a few scenarios where um, we're looking at a few user journeys that people um, 
would typically visit a website for. So buying a ticket, uh, making a donation, becoming a member or finding information about how to get to a venue. Um, and sometimes with usability studies, it's what people aren't telling you, which really tells you what's wrong with the website. But sometimes people have some really, um, really useful feedback, particularly when it comes to using assistive technologies like screen readers or I tracking software or speech to text software. Um, it's really important to speak to people with lived experience um, mm -hmm. rather than relying only on a checklist of, of guidelines because you can have a compliant website uh, but still have one which is extremely difficult to use just in the same way that I can buy a ticket um, um, without using assistive technology but it might have been a really frustrating experience to get there. Yeah no that makes total sense to me uh, and the the question the thing that you brought up about what people aren't telling you being like telling you everything is how does that show up for you because i i, I and I'll, I'll frame it for you like this because a lot of times i talk about this stuff with like research and like marketing because i go hey look if you are your impressions are usually dangerous right because you have a different point of view for the from the world right you see things different you're close to the arts like if you're working on accessibility and you aren't dealing with some issue then you might not necessarily recognize what's important how does this show up like how do they think the things people aren't telling you how do they show up when you're having these conversations so um with each of the scenarios like trying to buy a ticket or um logging in or making a donation um there'll be an expected user journey. You've designed a website in a way that you want people to follow kind of the critical path. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, watching, observing people complete those tasks, we ask people to share their screen, to speak aloud, to share their webcam, and you can see the facial expressions people are pulling as they um, go through those user journeys. And sometimes people will pause in certain sections or they'll scroll down a page, they'll scroll back up a page. Um, they may take a little bit longer than you expect at certain points. Um, and at other times it may be um, you're expecting uh, someone to take one route and they go completely off off course, off the expected track. Um, for me as a, a kind of um, facilitator of these studies, um, I have to try and not influence people's yeah, decisions yeah. and journeys. So I don't want to ask leading questions. And I also don't want to interrupt too prematurely. Um, and it's also uh, a reason why I, I want people to observe these studies to see what happens when people are using websites. But I'll always, um, it's always to not have them in the same room because if you have a marketing director who's had a very specific <laughs> idea, uh, I've sat in one usability study where the marketing director interrupted and pointed and say, what about if you just click that button and um, it's not really giving you the the results you want if you're directing people. So, um, yeah, I would say it's the, uh, the long pauses that tell you that something's up or the look of confusion on someone's face or trying to click something which isn't clickable. Um, yeah, all of those things allow us then to probe further to see, well, what were you expecting? Um, what would you, ex is this how you typically navigate uh, a ticketing website or is this the same as your experiences elsewhere? Um, or why, why did you choose to click here? 
what we were so, expecting to happen. The way you explained it to me, it makes it sound like, and again, if I'm wrong, you just tell me I'm wrong or tell me I'm a moron. That's fine. That would be the first time. Uh, but it sounds like, you know, studying accessibility and making it easy for people to use the website is really, it's applicable and helpful to all people. It's not really like going, oh, we're just making this because like we have to meet these, be compliant because somebody has, you know, um, problems of problem seeing or like they can't read smaller print or whatever the the situation might be. It's actually just like it's good for everybody because I mean, as you were talking about some of these examples with the marketing director and everything else, it's like going, well, of course you know where the button is because you're the one who helped make yeah. the thing. But like, going, it should be so simple that anybody can figure it out, right? It's like. Um, I get, uh, I don't know, I won't say heat. I was like, well, I care less what people say about me. Most of the time is the truth that people are going, oh, you you make these things sound like they're like accessible for a third grader, like they're one-on-one stuff. I go, the real beauty is in taking something that's really complex and giving it to people in a way that anyone can understand. Uh, simplicity yeah. is, is beautiful. Complexity is like usually when somebody's trying to sell me something. And it just, to me, it sounds like probably one of the core benefits for all consumers is it just makes things easier. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when we're looking for things online, uh, we're typically looking to do a thing, to complete a task, to um, find out some information. We we um, usually navigating with a purpose. Um, in the UK, the average reading age is nine years old. And so if you're writing your web copy to be uh, more advanced than that, you're already um, demanding more cognitive load of your users than uh, mm -hmm. than is the national average. And so I'd say um, writing sentences concisely, um, using kind of common parlance, not expecting people to have to look up words as they're going through your website um, mm -hmm. is going to benefit everyone. Um, and there is the concept of cognitive load when you're browsing. We want to not distract users uh, from the task at hand. We want to make it as easy as possible for people to complete the tasks that they're trying to complete. Um, and so sometimes there will be over embellished designs, um, like moving image. And um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't use things like GIFs or, or video, um, you definitely can, but what you can do is make sure that um, the site's been developed in a way that if people find that overwhelming or if it's um, a barrier for someone if they have low vision for example or if they have ADHD or uh, a neurodivergent condition um, there are settings that people can enable to switch off things like distracting moving image um, so the key really is to allow people to use your website in a way that works best for them. Um, and out of the box with HTML, uh, that's relatively straightforward. Um, it's as we develop more interactivity and um, use kind of plugins and um, more complex uh, website tools that it becomes more complicated. And it becomes more complicated. Now, let me ask you this, and I, and I think I know the answer. And if you want to put, say it's it's me to saying this when I ask the question, it's cool. Again, like let people make fun of me, it's fine. Um, people get these more advanced technologies, and so and then they do they lose sight 
of the end user in a way because like I have this tool i should i need to use it because i've invested in it is that what drives a lot of this stuff or is it like you know because i i don't feel like people are doing things um willfully to be like you know to make the sites inaccessible or to uh make things complicated it's just like i got this cool toy i want to play with it is, is that yeah absolutely is that right yeah i don't think <laughs> yeah, i don't I think do. people are uh, <laughs> maliciously uh trying to exclude people um, but it's the same with anything. You, you're going to be looking for efficiencies and when you're designing and building a site. And if someone's built a tool already, um, it may be that you only need half that tool, but it does the job. Um, and so you might be implementing something that someone else has built. Um, there might be a load of bloatware there, things that people don't need. Um, it may be harder to then tailor that or customize that to work with your design. Um, and uh, it may be that no one has checked that tool for accessibility. Um, so sometimes we'll come across accessibility issues that have been introduced because um, we're effectively trying to save time on development. So we're pulling in this pre-existing tool, but we're maybe not configuring it for you. We're only using half of the functionality. Um, Sometimes that will show false positives in automated scans as well. So um, we have to check, is this actually an issue or is it just an issue because of, there's some redundant code on this website? So I'm getting quite in the weeds here. <laughs> um, no, no, but yeah, I think it's it's partly um, people trying to build in efficiencies or reuse things that exist already without necessarily having checked for accessibility um, within those tools. So then let me ask you this, right? Um, if you were if you were advising somebody on addressing this issue, where would they start? Like, what would be the first step they would take? So, um, I mean, the first step I, I usually say is to to get your house in order is to check your existing website. Um, so you can run an accessibility audit. Um, there are a whole host of guides that you can self-test your own website. Um, there are automated tools that you can use to scan your full website domain. It's worth noting tools like that typically only pick up around 40% of accessibility issues. So you do need to do a manual assessment to get the other 60% of, of issues. Um, but once you've run an audit, we want to be looking at the key user journeys. So uh, as I've said, like, what's your website for? Can people do the tasks that people are coming to your website to do? Um, and typically with arts and culture, that's buy a ticket um, or make a donation or find an event or get, get to a place. Um, usually we'll find there are a number of accessibility issues at that point. You'd want to work through those um, with a web agency or if you've got in-house developers you'd um, work through those and then i'd say at that point um, asking audiences um, there's a saying among the disability community nothing about us without us and the best way to know if your website works for all your of your audiences is to ask them um, so conducting inclusive usability studies um, so ensuring that you have a diverse range of needs represented um, by the people testing the site um, is really key to making sure it works for everyone. And what I mean by that is um, 
is someone within the panel of user testers using a screen reader? Is someone using magnification software or speech-to-text software? Um, are you working with anyone who um, uses eye-tracking software, for example? Um, uh, really, a, a diverse range of needs should be represented when testing to make sure it works yeah. for everyone. Um, one key thing that is important to mention here as well is if you're asking people to give their time for testing your website, that's that's essentially work. So um, don't ask people to do that for free. If you've got your audience spending an hour on a call with you, um, reimburse them somehow. Um, yes. I absolutely agree. I say um, the, the, the nice thing about doing this stuff is a lot of times people will do it for free. But that's the thing yep. about it is like you never take advantage of them. You, I'm like always like let's throw them some kind of party or like invite them yep. to something that they can't get otherwise, right? Because the, you might you might be like, oh, we'll give you twenty bucks. Nobody wants the twenty the twenty pounds, right? They'd rather have the yep. party, the special attention. And, but do it because it's also great because you yep. get more feedback. You get they'll tell you more things than you would have ever thought to know before. Now. You said self-testing, right? And I want to ask about this because I want to. Um, you said about forty percent of accessibility issues show up in these self-automated self-tests that you easily get a hold of. Sixty um, percent of stuff is missed. What's the, the, some of the stuff that's like commonly missed? Because I'm guessing that if it's commonly missed by the software, that a lot of people, if they're doing a self-assessment and like kind of thinking through this thing, they might walk right past those things. And uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, you know, I'd be curious. Sure. Um, so some of the things that might be missed, um, maybe things that AI, although it's getting more intelligent day by day, um, is not quite advanced to fill in the gaps that um, humans are here for. <laughs> um, so that might be things like um, including alternative text for images. Um, automated scanning can tell you if that alt text looks like a file name, for example, um, but it can't tell you uh, if the alt text actually represents what's in an image. Um, there may be buttons that aren't coded correctly, um, and so on some sites that I audit, um, we'll be navigating through the menu and we'll just miss three or four items uh, quite commonly. That's, that's search buttons or even opening the, um, the menu using a keyboard or a screen reader isn't possible. Um, and then some of the other things will be around the legibility of the, the text. So um, there are certain tools you can use to scan or support the, the writing of, um, of text so that it is easy to understand. Um, yep. The automated scanning tools aren't the best for that. Um, I would say you use that in combination with your, your kind of self um, but there are a whole bunch of sites. There's a um, really good article on the UK government website called Doing a Basic Accessibility Check If You Can't Do a Full One. <laughs> um, and that has a list of stages, which is saying um, things like, can you navigate using only a keyboard? And it tells you how to do those tests. Um, yeah, that's a really useful resource. I can share the link if you want to. I included in the show notes too. That'd be totally, totally great. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying is that people shouldn't just expect that this stuff is built in to their website design. 
And they shouldn't think that just because they have a website designed that it just works for everybody, right? And so I guess to me that means, though, is that we have to consider what the financial impact of this is. And you mentioned a report um, that's a UK report that says that like seven out of 10 people with accessibility issues will click away because the site is, is too hard to use. Is that right? And then how much does yes. that, like, what kind of impact does that have on people? So um, I think the impact is that people get frustrated. Um, but there's, as you say, around seven in 10 disabled customers will click away from an access inaccessible website to a more accessible website. And each year that's displacing 17.1 billion pounds. So businesses who might have received that money aren't receiving it because their websites don't work well enough. Um, in terms of the general state of accessibility, um, there's a report that's run each year by uh, a company called Web Accessibility in Mind, and they scan one million websites each year using their scanning software. Um, and it, it found that around 98% of websites are inaccessible to some degree at the moment. Um, so on average, arts and entertainment websites have around 57 accessibility issues on their home pages alone. Um, and I find it a bit funny talking about stats when it comes to accessibility because uh, really it only takes one accessibility issue to prevent someone from yeah. being able to use a site independently. The aim here is that we want everyone to be able to use websites without having to ask for assistance. Um, and it, it could be the matter of one critical issue stopping someone from being able to do that. Um, I don't believe that we would necessarily strive for a 100% accessible website because I think right. that might be an un unrealistic goal. But I think if people work towards more continuous improvement, that's going to be better for everyone. And there are a whole host of benefits gleaned from that as well because um, uh, accessibility goes quite hand in hand with uh, best practice around website content generation in any case. So things like um, search optimization are drastically improved uh, if you structure your websites properly. So um, making sure that your headings are hierarchical and semantic. Um, so what I mean by that is um, making sure that you use H1 tags um, for the titles on the pages and then your nesting content uh, using appropriate heading tags um, and link text as well. So link text can tell Google uh, and other search, engine op uh, search engines what your links are and where they're going to. Um, but that also really helps people using screen readers because um, screen reader users don't want to have to listen to every single word on every single page. There are tools that you can use to bypass pieces of content. And one of the ways of doing that is skipping through the links that are on a page. And if your website just says, click here, click here, click here, click here, that doesn't tell anyone about what they're clicking or where they're going to be taken to. Um, yeah, so fixing that means it's better for people and better for crawlers like Google.
Yeah, no, it, this all makes like a whole bunch of sense because I would always turn it around and I was walking you to that $17.1 billion number because I think like if you can show where there's a return on investment on this. And when you told me that like the average um, reading age uh, in the UK is nine, yeah, uh, I think in the States it's eight. So um, making a website so that a second or third grader can read it uh, yep. is, is essential. <laughs> it's you Definitely. know because if they don't see like if they can't understand it they're not going to buy it right it goes back to that idea that if you complicate the thing uh it makes it easier to say no right because it creates decision yeah. fatigue because you're having to make a decision over and over through the entire process uh, you know so to me this is like it's just going to make your organization better and if there's 57 uh issues on the average homepage of a site there seems to be a lot of low-hanging fruit and if you just like get some of that low-hanging fruit it would seem like that would have a huge improvement uh for all users not just you know it, you know it wouldn't you wouldn't be singling anybody out you'd be helping everyone which i think is great um now i have one final question for you and this is a uh, I, you, you you didn't get to prepare for this one, so this is going to be great. Um, so you're telling me that um, I should go to my website as soon as we get off this and and take away all the all caps. I got to like get rid of all caps. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> because I shouldn't yeah. be screaming at everybody. <laughs> I saw the all caps <laughs> thing on your website. So I was like, I got to ask that. That's so great. Yeah. So yeah, with, with all caps, it can take everyone 10% more time to read. Um, and... Uh, I think the this is a bit of a pet peeve of mine as well, but um, there there are a few studies around all caps. There's um, some that say um, it improves legibility or word recognition, um, but with the caveat that that's for glanceable interactions. So, for instance, with your smartwatch, it's good to have maybe two or three words that are in all caps um, because if you're just uh, taking a quick look, like a micro interaction, or if you're driving and you've got a road sign, um, most road signs will have words in all caps because there's only two or three at a time. But if you're reading kind of 25 words per paragraph uh, and they're all in all caps, there's no differentiation between the shapes and sizes of the letters. Um, so what we look for as humans when we're reading is the um, differentiation between character size we look for the ascenders and the descenders in typography so an ascender is like the top of a, a d the tail uh, and a descender the lower part of a p for example um and yeah all caps are uniform in in width and height so we can't as easily uh recognize words yeah, i would no. i would always recommend not using all caps um particularly not for body copy uh they shouldn't be overused. Like I'm not saying never use all caps, but um, use it sparingly. Yeah, I I actually only use it very sparingly because I know that it's also it's like um, a lot of things. If you use it too much, it loses its impact. So yeah, that way, yeah, definitely. you know, just like bolding, you know, if I or and bullets, like you got to know how to use things. But now yeah. I'm like completely blown away by the. Um, the nine, the nine-year-old re and eight-year-old reading levels, and like how you know, because that makes me, um, at least me, rethink the entire um, approach to pretty much everything. Because like how you know, how can you make everything easy for people to understand? Um, Caspian, how can people find you on the internet? Uh, people can find me on the internet on 
LinkedIn, uh, Accessible by Design. They can find me on Twitter uh, at access underscore designed or at Caspian Turner. Um, or they can go to my website, which is accessiblebydesign.co.uk. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you for making it this far and listening to this episode of the Business of Fun podcast. I really appreciate it. I know that if you've made it this far that you love the podcast, so do me a favor. If you know someone who is struggling with their accessibility, who could use some sort of um, refresh of the way their purchase pass goes down, um, someone who maybe wants to tackle some of these uh, issues um, and help people who have ADHD or any of these other challenges to um, navigating your website, forward this podcast to them. Maybe it'll help them. Thank you again for listening. Um, make sure that you send me your questions, right? I do need your help. If you have a question about something that's going on in your organization uh, from a strategic level and you don't know exactly how to deal with it, send it to me. If there are, is an issue that you are struggling with and you don't think people are, are talking about it enough, send it to me. Send me a list of topics or guest ideas, you know, anything. I want to get your voice into the podcast. And the best questions I'm going to incorporate into future episodes of the Business of Fun. I'm going to start introducing topics and guests I'm going to have on so that I can get your voice into the podcast. So I can bring you into the mix of the podcast. So you can DM me right on LinkedIn or Twitter there. I think they're open both places. Um, you can join the Slack channel, which I'm going to put in the show notes, Talking Tickets Slack channel. Uh, you can reply to the business, um, the Talking Tickets newsletter or the Business of Value newsletter. It'll get to me. Uh, you can send me a snail mail piece of, of mail, right? You, my address is on my website, DaveWakeman.com. It's easy to find. Uh, you can text me, right? You can send me a voice memo. Um, however you want to do that. Uh, you can send me uh, a carrier pigeon or smoke signals. I don't care. Just get me your questions, okay? That's that's it. The, as I put the podcast back together and start rolling out new episodes, it's really important to me that I include you in this podcast because if this podcast has been successful, and it has, because I know that it is in the top 10% right now, after I haven't put out a episode in months, um, a top 10 podcast in the world. So I want to get back up higher because we were way, way, uh, we had a nice juggernaut going, you and I. So I want to get that back. And, and this time, as we put out new episodes, I want you to be a part of it. So again, give me your questions, give me your thoughts. Um, I want to thank you like always for being here. I really couldn't do this without all of you. Um, and don't hesitate to send me a note. Let me know what you're up to. Send me your challenges, the things that you're dealing with. Ask me the questions that you have about strategy and the challenges you're dealing with in your organization. Remember, the lost art of strategy is my guiding principle. We're going to turn this sucker around, right? Strategy before tactics. All of the old Dave sayings. All right. Um, I will talk to you again sooner rather than later this time. But thank you so much. Um, take it easy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. One more thing before I forget. I'm going to put the link in the the show notes. But if you go to DaveWakeman.com and click on the shop, I have populated that sucker. There's all kinds of stuff you can do with me. Uh, In-person events, virtual events. 
Uh, all kinds of stuff, and I will continue to add to it because I am now a raving lunatic for making sure that um, we get together um, in person or online uh, and we help each other. So, uh, but again, thank you so much. Check out the show notes, get the link for Dave Wakeman and check the shop out. It's um, really, really great. And there's a lot of stuff that um, I can help you with and just ways to engage me more. Okay. I will talk to you again soon. Take it easy. (laughs) 